right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. Mel, how you doing over there? I'm doing all right. Hopefully everybody else out there is, you know, staying safe and COVID free and so we can, you know, get back to some kind of a normal lifestyle and actually be able to record together in the same room. I know COVID's coming. Uh, Thanksgiving later this week. What are you thinking? Yep. I'm thinking that I'm going to pig out. How about you? I'm going to pig on out. I'm going to turkey on out. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to be me and Justin, you know, the cats. Might go to my see. dad's later, but yeah. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm heeding all warnings. This is just an excuse for me to tell my family to, you know, take a flying leap. <laughs> take a frying fucking leap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's COVID Thanksgiving this year, so we're minimizing the activities and surroundings of family and gatherers at your well, yeah. yeah, at your homes. Like everybody was like, they're making a big joke about it because the the governor here, you know, with all her warnings and whatnot about you know doing what we're supposed to to you know keep the numbers down, and they have the memes are like ridiculous. They have her peeking in people's windows and telling them to close their blinds so that she can't watch and you know arrest them, have them arrested for having too many people in their homes. Yeah, no truth, and they will be arresting soon. Yeah, well, I mean, arresting and destroying. You know, if people didn't get so lax over the summertime, it probably. I mean, it was going to get bad anyway. They it it. They said the second wave was going to hit harder come flu season. And, it, and yeah. they were right, you know. And the only problem with that is, is because it mimics so many other things. Like, you so much as sneeze, you've got COVID. Like, I, you know, I'm having a kidney issue, but they were swearing up and down I had COVID. Well, they want you to have the COVID. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to have the COVID. I have, I have enough underlying issues that would, you know, literally it would kill me if I get it. Well, you got to be careful. And you know what? We got a guest with us today. Uh, I know. I don't want you to go get ape shit. I don't want you to get psycho ape because we get got a very special guest crazy. with us. On the line this evening. I have a cat Whoa, that's trying to bro. photo bomb this, sh- video bomb the show. Before turkey season's in session. Doing a big. We got, got the holidays off right. Woo! Hey. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you guys? Doing pretty fantastic. Hanging in there. How's uh, Baston? Doing all right, you know. We're doing all right. Get the boss. We're doing Baston over here. We got the Rhode Boston Island Boston and Providence. Well. <laughs> nice. We're representing the two major cities around here. <laughs> Rhode Island's got their own flavor. Nice. Dude, is that a Burbs t-shirt? That's a Burbs t-shirt, yeah. Oh, my God. I That's love dope. it. <laughs> I got this off the Etsy. The yeah. old Etsy, yeah. Love it. Burbs is classic. Love the Burbs. Joe Dante yeah. classic film. Yep, yeah. Definitely in my top ten, no doubt. So, folks, we had Greg DeLisso here with us. Hello. This evening. This evening. On the Shock Treatment Show. So, how you doing? You doing good over there? Everything's cool? Yeah, I'm good. Now, you're originally a Detroiter, um, yeah. but you're no longer there. You're on the you're like on the move right now, right? You're in in the process of a move, or you've already touched down. Oh, I'm touched down. I'm in LA. I living. I'm li- I live in LA now. 
I moved uh, to a state that's on fire during a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, that's like the epitome of hellfire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's pretty nuts. But um, no, I unfortunately, um, you know, forever now, part of my backstory will unfortunately be some uh, tragedies that I've suffered. And yeah. um, the most recent one was uh, just two months ago. My roommate in Michigan uh, passed away. Um, and I happened to be living across the street uh, from the house uh, where my wife passed away. So, um, oh, geez. yeah, there were a lot of uh, uh, bad uh, uh, vibes, I guess, or whatever. Just uh, negative energy. Feelings. Yeah. And, uh, tr- you know, triggers as well, if you will, in uh, in Michigan. And, um yeah, it feels really good to be out of there. Um, because, a fresh start, uh, get away from all those bad memories and yeah, bad you. Definitely, yeah. Needed the change of scenery for sure. So, um, so yeah, my uh, colleague and I got in the car and we uh, packed it up and drove across the country for the most part. Um, and uh, we have been here in LA for about a week um, and doing well. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here, uh, even though COVID obviously has everything shut down, which I mean, I'm glad that it, that it's shut down cause it's safer and stuff. But at the same time, um, there's not much to do. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, I'd love to go to the comedy store and, uh, catch a movie, uh, you know, uh, at some of these famous theaters, but everything is closed. And yeah. so I'm just kind of hanging out and waiting for uh, the world to come back, but, uh, loving LA for sure. Definitely love it here. A lot of friends here. Yeah, we were just kind of saying the same thing ourselves about, you know, waiting for COVID to be over so that we can go back to a little bit of normalcy and, you know, actually maybe do the show together and us be in the same room. Yeah, right. (laughs) As opposed to, you know, him and him at his place and me at mine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up comedy, the the stand-up. I love comedy and... That's one of those things, too, those clubs, man. Like, there's so many classic ones, especially in, you know, L.A. and such. Well, um, the comedy yeah. store, of course, the world famous comedy store, which I think yeah. they just closed their doors, right? Like permanently or something like that. I don't know. I honestly don't know if they closed their doors. Uh, I hope not permanently. I don't know. Um, uh, now, I will say that uh, Boston is the number one comedy city in the entire world, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. Um, I really haven't been abroad, so I don't know that I can fully say that, but I can't, I can't imagine that Tokyo or, uh, you know, or uh, any of these other cities have a better comedy scene than Boston. I mean, Boston is like uh, absolutely, I, you know, I think people put it ahead of New York. I think Boston is where they come from and New York is where they kind of get their industry chops. And then once they're ready to try to get a sitcom, they move out to LA. But uh, I mean, LA obviously has its, uh, you know, has its comedy scene and stuff. And I'm, I'm excited to do it. I should mention, I actually, um, tried uh stand-up myself and failed miserably at it um <laughs> i did open mics i did them uh about five times back in detroit a uh, very tiny uh open mic uh scene there i have to admit that for everything i love about detroit uh it is not a funny city really <laughs> um, it's not a good comedy city no i'm not saying that that's why i failed i failed because i wasn't good at it I will say that I actually met uh, a, a wonderful uh, young comic named Noah Chap, who um, I put in Psycho Ape, uh, okay. uh, based on seeing him um, uh, do his comedy. But no, I have to say, I'm, I'm 
I love stand-up comedy as an art form. It's maybe my favorite after movies. Uh, I just am in love with it. I've been a nerd comedy nerd my whole life. And uh, I always wanted to try it. Um, I enjoy public speaking. I thought that would give me like a leg up, uh, but it really didn't. It's really impossibly hard to do. Yeah. And part of the reason I did it too was um, as a director, uh, I do think it's important to try to empathize, empathize with uh, the, the actors as much as you can because they're the ones like vulnerable on camera. And so the more I feel like I can do to kind of perform um, and put myself in their shoes, uh, uh, the better. Um, and I would never dare try comedy out here in L.A. because uh, if I failed in Detroit, uh, I don't think I would do too well out here where the real people are. Yeah, I was yeah, say, yeah. It might be a little more brutal out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was so fun. I had so much fun with it. I wish that, uh, you know, without, you know, I just wish that COVID would... Uh, was there anybody that you grew up idolizing uh, for stand-up comedy that made you want to do that or attempt it? Well, my biggest uh, artistic, and I hesitate to use this word because it's corny and I don't really have, like, heroes, but my number one artist that I really follow in life is actually Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, I grew up uh, a fanatic of the sitcom. Um, it, it got off the air when I was 12, and I watched the last um, – three or four seasons of it like live on TV as it aired every Thursday night. And then it was really uh, sad, you know, as a kid when it ended, then of course, uh, Larry David, sort of the other half of that sort of uh, Lennon McCartney duo kind of went off and did uh, curb, which I'm also obsessed with. And then Jerry Seinfeld um, actually went and did a verite documentary uh, called comedian uh, in, I think around 2000 or 2002. And, um, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm a huge documentary uh, junkie, and I have been since, like, around the year 2000 or so. And um, I think comedian, uh, apart from Jerry Seinfeld, or, and, and never mind what you think of, like, his comedy and stuff, it's an amazingly well-put-together uh, verite uh, documentary, really structured, um, similar to Godfather 2, where they're following two narratives, um, that are woven together, uh, one of the sort of elder statesmen and one of the young up-and-comer. And it's just an absolutely brilliant uh, uh, dissection of the artistic process. And I think that Jerry, um, if you sort of study him like I have, um, is really well-known uh, for being an extremely disciplined writer um, and uh, have a huge work ethic. Um, and I sort of try to um, take that uh, and just, uh, hold myself up to that a little bit as best I can. And then as far as, uh, actual, like, um, you know, Jerry, as far as like being a stand up, I mean, I do love Jerry. He's, he's probably in my top 10 for sure standups, but my number one stand up of all time, uh, probably by far is, uh, Norm MacDonald. Um, I have been a huge fan of his since I was a little kid. He was, when I was a little kid, he was hosted, no, he was, um, weekend update on SNL. And I actually remember him getting like fired from that and being on Letterman all the time and sort of uh, followed him and he's had various podcasts and stuff. And I'm just kind of obsessed with him as well. And he's an, an amazing writer uh, as well. And has a, has a book uh, called based on a true story. So um, yeah, Norm and Jerry are my two big ones, but I like a bunch of guys. Yeah. I mean, last episode at the end of it, me and Mel had a conversation about stand up. Yeah. Um, you know, big fans, of course. And, like, I was, I was super quiet as a kid. I was, like, the most shy kid. I was, you know, the kid that was always quiet but would listen and watch everything. 
Mm-hmm. And, like, comedy kind of was, like, the first thing I really, like, loved. But, like, you know, I was that was not in my ballpark to be getting up in front of an audience. You know what I mean? But then, like, as time goes on with filmmaking and stuff, it's like you're behind the scenes, but you got to realize that you got to break out of that shell. You need to be more community, you know, communicate more. So you kind of have to pull yourself out of that in order to do what you want to do type deal. You know what I mean? Um, now I feel like I'd be more comfortable like this podcast. Like if you told, if you told me at 15 years old, I was going to do shows where I talked, I'd be like, no fucking way. Like, nah, I doubt it. But you know, sometimes you got to change to do what you want to do. You know, got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. I think that's part of what art is all about for sure. So, uh, you know, it's so funny. It's like, uh, I'm a big sports guy. I love sports. So a lot of athletes, um, you know, they do their main sport, but they play other sports, especially as a kid, but they do it. You know, it's like a, you know, it's it, the, the famous examples of, uh, you know, Bo Jackson and stuff. That's just like one thing, but you know, every hockey player also golfs and does other things on the side and they might be good at baseball. I think, uh, artists, um, really, uh, tend to stay in their lane a lot, um, and uh, I think it's great to uh, force yourself. If, if you know, if you're a, a director or whatever you are, and you don't know how to play the guitar, uh, go try to learn just to force yourself to know another artistic discipline and know what that is like. Uh, I think that's like a really kind of important thing because um, uh, they're all interrelated and they all help in the end. And there's no better time to start learning how to play the guitar than right now during COVID. Yeah, you have no excuse. That's exactly right yeah 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 as a filmmaker was uh american mo- a documentary question was american movie a big documentary for you because i remember like falling so in love with that movie the first time i seen it how about you american movie is uh definitely in my three uh favorite movies of all time i've literally seen it uh uh i'm not even kidding at all i've literally probably seen it a hundred times i've seen yeah. it with the commentary a hundred times i know every inch of it i actually was um uh, fortunate enough to um, film uh, Mike Shank uh, for a unfinished uh, project that I have that I'm hoping to finish up uh, in the next, like, uh, hopefully six months here. Um, but, uh, oh, whoop, someone, my, sorry, I'm still here. You guys can still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still here. You're good. Yeah, my camera goes off sometimes. Let me just click back on here. Um, okay, sorry about that. No uh, yeah, no, um... I am uh, obsessed with American movie. Absolutely. Um, it was a big, ch- see, I saw, I saw American movie for the first time um, probably around 2004 or five. So it had been out for like a couple few years and I had just moved to New York where, um, you know, I was from Detroit. Right. And uh, the setting of American movie is so um, Midwestern, Right. Uh, obviously takes place in uh, like in Wisconsin. And uh, it looks so exactly like the uh, place where I grew up. And of course, uh, the way that Borchardt is uh, trying to wrangle his friends together. Um, I, there's that funny scene where he's on the phone and he's trying to get extras to come to be in the scene the next day. And uh, when I, I think I was probably, you know, 19, 20 years old when I saw it for the first time. And, um, I had done that exact thing. I, I, when I was in high school, I was making films and, uh, I had, I had a list of names of friends that I sort of knew I could, 
um, go to to be in stuff. And I remember very much like going down that list and calling them on your, you know, before cell phones, calling them up on the phone and um, trying to get them to show up in a scene the next day. So I had, I had absolutely lived that uh, life for sure. Um, and so it's super close to home, but I will say that not only just, um, not only just relating to the uh, look and style of the film itself, um, what an amazing uh, narrative. It is so uh, tight. Uh, none of the scenes go on too long. Uh, they're edited with such a comedic uh, style. So the scenes have this wonderful uh, punchline to them and flow yeah. into the next scene. And how difficult is it to do that with a verite uh, thing where you just have hundreds of hours of footage of this guy and you have to whittle it all down to uh, something that that makes sense and so what a great thing it's so endlessly funny and quotable but also so um touching and sad at times and, and heartfelt and really uh tugs at the heartstrings in all the right ways and uh just has such a great rustic uh indie quality um and absolutely yeah i um i'm fortunate enough my friends with uh these two guys that do thing called the found footage festival and they actually produced uh Board charts, um, latest thing, uh, the Dundee project. Oh yeah, yeah. And I haven't actually met Mark yet, uh, but I probably will at some point in life. Um, yeah. I, I am friends with him on Facebook, like I'm sure, I assume we all are. Yeah, we. And, are. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? And uh, no, I couldn't love that movie enough. I mean, really, American movie signs and Raising Arizona are my three favorite uh, movies uh, ever made for sure. Oh yeah, Raising Arizona is a movie I always say I liked it before. I haven't wanted to make movies. It was just one of sure. those movies you see coming up that you just love before yes. you like, before you realize it's the Coen brothers, before you realize it's Nicolas Cage, you know, you yep. just love it because it's a great movie. Definitely. Definitely. American movies. Great. Because like it has that anybody who's ever wanted to make a, make a film or has made a low budget film and even more so horror is going to find something special in American movie. And the dynamic with this uncle was really oh, sweet too. Definitely. Um, definitely. And it kind of tapped into a weird thing that a lot of like, you know, artists deal with where like you have family, there's usually two different types of family. Like, like there, there's like people that'll be like negative in a way of like just trying to be bad, but there's like a weird negative that they think is positive. Like they don't want you to, they don't want you to, they think you're wasting your life. You know what I mean? Right. So like there, there's like that element to it too. Exactly. exactly. You know, and I just quickly to circle back for a second, you know, I would say that Comedian by Jerry Seinfeld, the documentary that I referenced before, yeah. is uh, really similar to American Movie, but the difference is that you're instead of watching an unknown that kind of has a somewhat of a hapless, bumbling, yet still driven quality to them uh, with Mark Borchardt as the subject, um, Comedian is exactly the same story, but you're watching uh, someone who is, lit again, whether you like his comedy or not, someone who literally was at, is at the absolute top of the game uh, in their form with the biggest sitcom of all time and one of the most successful comedians of all time. And they're doing the same thing. The, the, the premise of Comedian is that Jerry is retiring all of his uh, previous material and is going to start from scratch and go to the little small clubs in New York and uh, build a new hour's worth of material so he can go out on the road and be a comic again. And um, it's exactly the same sort of uh, premise. I mean, I actually look at um, writing and shooting and building a movie 
very similar to the process of build, of the way a stand up would build uh, their hour, where yeah. you're very conscious of the audience. Um, if something's like not working, uh, you cut it out. And I, I what I, I think I think that sometimes filmmakers are really um, pretentious, and they have this problem where they're so married to their own material that they think every frame is so sacred uh, that they can't cut stuff out. And I think a lot of these um, people make uh, bloated, like overlong films with a bunch of fat in them that isn't, you know, just slowing it down and isn't working because they don't, they're not listening to the audience uh, enough or paying attention to that. And I think that the way a comic has to work where they go to a small club, they do 15 minutes. If uh, five minutes of that isn't working, it might be their favorite five minutes, but they got to cut that. They got to cut it. They can't do that again. It's not getting laughs. It's not working. So um, I think that process is really interesting. And I try to, uh, you know, kind of mirror that when I go and try to make a film. Um, And I just think that uh, watching Jerry in that verite way, following him around, just like they're following Borchardt is uh, endlessly fascinating to me and amazing dissection of like the artistic process for sure. The struggles are still very much still alive with both, you know, fields of uh, artistic endeavors, you know, they're probably comedy and filmmaking, probably some of the most, you know, hardest things to break into, you know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. So how did it all get started for Greg with films? I know you, you do the documentary stuff and you do like narrative stuff. Like how'd you uh, first get involved with like making movies? Yeah. Um, I mean, my story is uh, not unique. I'm sure this happened with a lot of kids. I was six years old when Jurassic Park came out. Um, I saw that a bunch of times in the theater. Uh, whatever that was on the screen, uh, I was going to do that. I mean, I wanted to be a paleontologist uh, first because that was like the dinosaur thing. But pretty soon, um, by, you know, I'm like by eight years old or whatever it was, it's like I, uh, I, I understood what Spielberg was. It was sort of like the cool thing about the phenomenon of Jurassic Park was that um, – there was a great behind the scenes uh, thing that they put out, uh, I think hosted by like James Earl Jones um, that was put out like right after me because it was such a giant cultural phenomenon thing. And um, I remember watching this footage behind the scenes of Spielberg, like directing on set as like a seven year old. And it's like, you don't really understand everything that's going on or what he's doing. I I definitely remember um, thinking as a kid that they must, uh, shoot the whole thing like in order sequentially and I didn't understand editing. So I just thought they like must put it all together sort of like, I guess in camera. Um, but it was just, it looked so much fun. Whatever they were doing, it looked like a guy who was an adult uh, running around playing with giant dinosaur robots and t- talking to people and having fun. And I just knew I was always, that's just what I had to do. There was no nothing else for me ever Um, and so by the time I was, um, like 12 and 13, I know that sounds like insanely young, but I really did start taking it really seriously at at that age. And I remember being in junior high and I would read, um, like Stanley Kubrick, like biographies and Scorsese on Scorsese interviews and stuff like that. I was, I was reading, I I would carry those books with me everywhere I went in um, junior high and I was reading those all the time. And I was around that age too, is when I started, um, exploring like other movies and i think the natural thing especially in america if you grew up in the 90s was you jump to the 70s 
So I really started exploring, you know, the, the big, you know, like Taxi Driver and Godfathers and all that kind of stuff. Um, really, that was the gateway back to that. Because I was really obsessed with, like, Tarantino and Kubrick and uh, Scorsese and uh, Spielberg, of course, still, and Lucas and all those guys um, at, in that early uh, teen time. And I got my first uh, camera when I was, I guess, 14. It was a Sony um, Digital 8. So it shot on um, not mini DV, but those like bigger high eight cassette tape. They were like about this big. It looked like a, almost looked like a, a t- cassette tape, like a music cassette. Yeah. Um, and uh, I made a movie when I was 16 um, on, uh, with that camera. Um, didn't do any lighting, but I uh, shot the whole thing myself. I edited it, the whole, the whole thing myself, directed it. It had, uh, there's, it's actually, there's there, no footage of it exists publicly, but on my website, um, it, there is like a, just a little sort of picture of it. Um, and it's two and a half hours long. Um, I was incredibly influenced at the time by both the Andersons, so Wes Anderson and PT. Um, I loved uh, Boogie Nights. Um, and uh, if you go back and watch that movie, that I did, you can really kind of, I mean, this is like silly to say, but it's like, you can see the influence because there'd be some shots that were very like geometric and symmetrical and flat compositions with everything kind of decorated. Right. And then there'd be some stuff where it'd just be like an absurdly long take that was like winding through a million hallways and stuff. And so it was all, it was just very influenced by the look and feel of those guys films. And um, it really doesn't make any sense. The movie but uh, it, there's no, there was no adult involvement whatsoever. Um, it's all all other 16-year-olds are in it. There's like 50 people in it. Um, and I have to say, I somewhat regret uh, not um, basically not moving to L.A. when I was like 17 or 18 right then back in 2004 and just being like, hey, I'm a, I'm a wonder kid. I made this movie. Uh, let, let's do more stuff. But I really didn't know anything. I kind of come from nowhere, um, and uh, no one in my family has any, like, money or any connection to anything, and I didn't want to go to college. So I moved to New York when I was 17, and I went to the New York Film Academy, um, which, ironically enough, excuse me, ironically enough, um, I actually think some in some twisted way that doing that sort of set me back, because... I had already basically made a movie and it wasn't a great movie and it didn't make a lot of sense, but they, you know, no one at the film Academy knew that. And they sort of, um, they get you into all the technical stuff, which I, some of it I already knew. And it's sort of like, I had already taught myself my way around a set. And, um, you know, I just feel like I should have just made another movie and not been so worried about, um, what my friends thought or trying to make the best possible movie I could, or trying to do something like the right way, because there is no right way. And I really didn't um, like make another feature uh, until I was like 24 when we started doing Hectic Knife. Um, And we didn't finish Hectic Knife until I was basically 30, which, um, you know, which is like, I mean, you know, that's just drove dragged on for like five years, but that's how I got started was the whole, was I got bit by the bug by Jurassic Park. So it's Spielberg's fault. And I always say this story, it's, it's, um, you know, Spielberg was the bug biting. And then I'll say though, that, uh, just to wrap up this long answer, but, um, you know, Kevin Smith, um, uh, basically 
the story with Kevin Smith was, you know, he loved movies that were like Batman and Jaws and stuff. But then he saw Slacker at the Angelica Theater in New York, and he saw that, and he realized, oh, I could do that. That seems like something that's within my reach. Well, when I was 15 and I saw um, Clerks, I thought the exact same thing. It's ex- I had the exact same experience. I thought, okay, I, you know, I'm 15 years old. I'm in the middle of suburban Michigan. I can't make Jurassic Park. But I could. That looks like something I could do. You mean you could? It, you, like it, it opened my eyes to the idea that uh, a movie could just be this. Like I didn't know it could just be like dudes talking in a room with a can. You know, it's like it yeah. made it accessible. Um, and uh, so yeah, very similar uh, kind of experience. But um, yeah, that's yeah, that's how I got started. Yeah, Kevin Smith's great. When I first when I, to learn writing, I bought I bought uh, it was like Clerks and Chasing Amy. Uh, and then I got like some Tarantino scripts and those were like the two writers that I liked and John Hughes, but I didn't get any John Hughes at the time, but those sure, were like sure. the three ones I really dug a lot. Sure. Definitely. Me too. Same, same, yeah. Same thing. I love those guys. Yeah. The, um, you know, I, I always credit, uh, I know you're, you're a big trauma guy as well. We'll talk about that. We'll hop into that. I always credit Toxic Avenger, you know, with being a huge influence on everybody because that's the film that kind of, you know, let you know you don't need, you know, a billion dollars to make something entertaining. You know? Yeah, you know, um, I don't know what I should say right now. I kind of proceed saying this with caution. Yeah. I am not a trauma guy. Well, I um, I don't know how open I should be about some of this, but I will say, uh, I don't mind saying publicly, um, yeah. I deeply regret uh, giving Hack the Knife over to trauma. I think it was a huge mistake. Yeah. Um, I had never seen, uh, I, the only trauma film I had seen uh, ever was Cannibal the Musical. Um, I was a big uh, South Park fan as a kid, of course, that we all were. Yeah. And of course, Trey Parker is like this amazing, you know, renaissance man of an artist that can like seem like he can do anything. He's a brilliant writer. He's hilarious. He's a musical guy. I mean, it's all that stuff he does is just amazing. And so I saw Cannibal, um, when I was like 18 and I fell in love with it. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite movies. And that's how I heard of, about trauma. Yeah. And so I read, uh, the book that they put out, uh, make your own damn movie, which, um, I, you know, I don't remember a lot from the book, but I will say that it was inspiring to me because like you just said, um, it is the message of, you know, you can do this yourself. It sort of sort of reinforces the, the Kevin Smith, thing like you can do this yourself yeah um i I, well the attitude i liked about that book was that it was like basically saying even roger corman is like one of the big guys and that's considered tiny there's a tinier level that you can do and it's possible and um there's just like a way around everything and of course being someone that makes uh guerrilla style films basically so far because i've never had like a proper budget um, and the way I made my first movie when I was 16 was just like running around with a camera in, in my hometown. Um, definitely that spirit spoke to me, but what I will say is that, uh, and without getting into too much of it, like I'll say like, look, you know, I met a lot of wonderful people through trauma that I'm happy to have worked with, but, um, I naively thought that trauma had like this big, uh, you know, Rolodex of like reviewers and a marketing department and like things that would really um, support uh, independent filmmaker. And so 
um, after five years and like 20 some thousand dollars of our own money into Hectic Knife, um, we didn't put it in any, in any festivals and we just like gave it away to this company. And I have to say that um, it's basically just uh, buried away on a shelf uh, where no one really will see it. I mean, I had the unfortunate experience of going to some of these conventions and there's people out in the crowds that won't even look at your movie because the Troma logo is on it because they actually hate Troma. Uh, I also found out that a large um, piece of the pie of the Troma audience are alt-right uh, hacky kind of people that really turned me off uh, big Good. time. Uh, I was really d- depressed by that. Um, and also, um, I, you know, they say like cream rises and it kind of makes me feel depressed because I am very proud of Knife, but I look at a lot of the other things that Troma puts out um, and it's just basically like glorified pornography. Uh, and it just makes me sad because um, what I would say is basically that the core audience of Troma is so small that um, the cream doesn't have anywhere to rise. I mean, I, I think there's two unfortunate outcomes. Either Hectic is not uh, worthy of my pride and it's just not better than any of those things or that um, the audience is just so tiny and they just don't really care. And so they look at Hectic next to this like porno thing and they see them as the same and they don't really care if one's better or the other. Um, and so I, I, um, I'm very happy with the people that I met. I, I got to become uh, good friends with, um, you know, Drew uh, who made the taint um, uh, Kansas bowling uh, and a, a bunch of other people that have become good friends of mine and stuff. And I'm really uh, happy about that. Uh, talented people, uh, Dylan Greenberg, for sure. Um, but um, I think that had we um, kept ownership of Hectic ourselves and gone out to festivals and stuff, um, we probably would have been able to make a little bit more money on our own or any money, <laughs> of course, there's yeah. no money. And uh, I think more people would have seen the film. Uh, I think that, so I'm, I'm guessing that, that you, you don't see anything for it being shown right now on like, cause I watched it today on Amazon prime. No, we don't get anything, but to be honest with you, I mean, you're probably the first person that watched it on prime in three months. I don't think it's getting watched that much. Um, I mean, that's what I mean is like, you know, when, when it came time to release and promote the movie, um, it took them two years to roll it out. Uh, their press release was full of typos and mistakes and they only sent it to like three things. I had to write my own press release. I had to pay for my own artwork to get made. Um, I had to solicit for my own reviews. Um, I had to do all that stuff myself. And it's like, I could have done all that stuff myself and retained ownership of my own work uh, and potentially um, just sold it you know, one copy at a time and made some money or I could have, you know, I could have held on to my baby basically. And I, I, um, I was basically swept up in the starstruckness of being in the same catalog as uh, cannibal, which is a movie that I truly love. Um, and to this day, I have only ever seen, um, uh, poultry geist and, um, toxic and cannibal. I haven't seen any of the other movies, I guess if you count the taint, uh, I've seen yeah. that. Uh, and BC Butcher. It depends on what you kind of count. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I feel bad saying that sometimes because I know that there's um, some really good people like yourself that are, uh, you know, dedicated uh, trauma fans. And I, uh, you know, I, I love you guys. I, I uh, appreciate that a lot. 
And I do appreciate that that's how you sort of discovered the movie and stuff like that. But um, it's a it's a small cult, and uh, I just think I learned a, hard, a tough lesson. I think we would have been a lot better off um, uh, uh, keeping the rights ourselves. I, I think it was a mistake. So that kind of helped you going forward with, you know, when you go into production and you want to start, you know, getting the word out there about your new films, you know, do it yourself now and not, you know, trust somebody else because it's all about, it's all about like, it's all about the promotion. If you don't have the right promotion, it's, it's difficult. Definitely. I mean, I won't, I don't want I won't speak for Edison at all, but I will say that, uh, you know, Edison and Binnick, the, 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 you know, my co creator on, uh, you know, the, the guy whose idea, Psycho is his film, it's his idea. Um, uh, I won't speak for him, but there is definitely a reason that uh, Psycho Ape is not released by Troma. Yeah. Um, it, it easily could have been. We definitely could have given it to them. But you know what? We've sold over 100 DVDs of Psycho Ape in just uh, like under a month. And um, had we given it to Troma, it like wouldn't even be out yet. And it would probably sell 10 copies in 10 years. And that would be that. It really wouldn't, you know what I mean? So uh, I think we, the lesson definitely already learned. And uh, and I would say to all young filmmakers or whoever out there, any age, um, you know, whether it's your dream to work with trauma or not, uh, keep the rights to your own material. You know, especially nowadays where the indie film market has uh, changed so much uh, since like when we were kids. And uh, it's just so different now, especially with just YouTube and Amazon and the way everything is. Uh, keep the rights to your own stuff, you know. I mean, unless you have giant investors behind you and a huge, you know, multi-million dollar budget and you're sort of inside those channels. Um, yeah, keep the rights, you know. Keep 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 the keep your own stuff. I mean, I you know, it's so, yeah, but, uh, yeah. I, I, will atta- I will attest that Hectic Knife is, it's better than the majority of trauma films. Like I, I I love Troma. I always will, just because of like sure. the come up and all that. And you know, Lloyd was in my first film, and we've done a few things with Lloyd, and he's been cool with me and all that. And sure. um, the thing, uh, what was I gonna say? The fucking uh, yeah, like usually Lloyd's you, Lloyd's movies are good, and then you have like there's other people that have put out movies like Astron Six and like Hectic Knife, and I always put you guys in a category with like. Father's Day, because I like, I love Father's Day, you know what I mean? It's like a perfect trauma-esque type movie type deal, and I put you guys in that caliber of, you know, Hectic Knife is one of, like, the best releases trauma's released in a long time. I appreciate that a lot. I, I really do. I, you know, there's been, uh, uh, you know, yourself and a few dozen folks who I, I know feel that way, and I really genuinely appreciate it. I mean, all my interactions with Lloyd have been fine um you know i know that he does a lot uh for 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 people uh, and and appears in a lot of films and stuff i mean look i don't begrudge anyone at all um that grew up with trauma and is a big fan of their stuff and wants to work with them or be a part of it um i you know i will say too that part of it part of what this is coming from is that it's like i'm you know i'm 34 i've basically been making movies for 20 years i haven't made a dime um and we're not you know with the, the good thing with psycho ape was that um for the first time well not i shouldn't say that that's true but for the first time but you know i in that it was one of the psycho ape was one of those rare projects where i didn't have to put any of my own money into it it was funded by, by kickstarter and so that's a big load off um but uh i i've you know i used to i used to make a lot of money doing um 
like local video content. Uh, so I have made a lot of money off of my uh, skill set and stuff, but I've never really made much of a dime at all off of my actual art. And I don't know, I don't really know, or, you know, if I think or whatever that Hectic would have been some like big hit or, you know, widely seen. Um, but I know for sure that, um, you know, there's no chance of it making any money with Troma unless I or Pete or something like goes on and blows up and makes something, you know, kind of the Trey Parker story happens. Right. Um, and unless that happens, um, it'll never make any money for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to, um, you know, be living in LA, the most expensive city in the world and, uh, you know, be making art for 20 years and it's your whole life and you really still don't have a, have a dime to your name uh, because of it. It's definitely tough. Um, and I do think I basically, what I would say that I do think that, um, you know, I'll leave this open-ended, but I do think that there's more that trauma could do to uh, respect uh, and support the filmmakers that, uh, that of whose work they release. I think that, I think that, uh, I think there's, there's a fair amount of disgruntled uh, people out there that have released stuff with them. Um, I'm, and so I'm not alone. That's just what I'll say, but. Oh yeah. I, I, I've heard, I've heard plenty of stories throughout the year they're, they're all justifiable. You know what I mean? Sure. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, let's talk about documentaries a little bit. Sure. So, yeah. uh, you know, I know the, the documentary, I think you talked with Mike Shank was the music documentary that you made, right? No, actually. Uh, so the thing with Mike Shank, uh, I got this idea in my head uh, about 10 years ago when I was living in New York to um, film people uh, just telling uh, t- their story of dreams that they had had during the night uh, when they were asleep. Because I uh, think they're really funny. I just think a weird, interesting dream. Uh, this really had nothing to do with like dream analysis or psychology or anything. I just think they're funny. I think it's funny if someone says, oh, yeah, I was, you know, playing pool with, uh, you know, George Costanza. I mean, what's the Mitch Hedberg joke? He's like, I, I hate going to sleep. It's like a bunch of work because I have to build a, a soapbox car with my ex-landlord or something. You know, it's just like, you know, they're just dreams are funny. Dreams are weird and are scary and, and interesting. So um, I I started filming people um, just like talking to the camera, kind of Errol Morris style. Um, telling the, the, their stories of the dreams that they had had. And uh, through some connections, uh, Mike Shank happened to be one of them. And it was really kind of amazing because um, little did I know that uh, he has this, like, he, has, he, he writes his dreams down in journals. And they're on the cover of this journal that he had was a drawing of him in a karate outfit, like doing karate. And it said, like, Mike Shank's dream diary on the top. And so for 30 minutes, I just filmed him reading out of this diary in his bed. And it was just so hilarious. And I, I, and no one's really seen that footage yet. Um, so it's, it's going to be a short um, piece called Sleeping Dreams. Um, and uh, I still have a little bit more stuff I want to shoot uh, out here with Kansas, actually, um, in the next couple of months. I will, I will be ready to do that. So I'm hoping to release it fairly soon. But, um, no, that was a really fun project. I also filmed uh, Greg Sestero from The Room, uh, who's kind of like a friend of mine a little bit um, for that project. Uh, and also, um, I don't know if anyone in your audience will have heard of her, but uh, she's actually quite big. Um, her name's Megan Tanjis. She's uh, like a singer-songwriter on YouTube. Um, uh, she uh, kind of like a body image uh, activist, I guess you'd say, yeah. and uh, does uh, like folk songs and stuff. And 
she's got a big, huge, big, uh, YouTube follow. It makes a living from, uh, like YouTube and Instagram and stuff. Um, she's, uh, I, I did a music video for her like 10 years ago too. So I, uh, know her a little bit. Um, and yeah, that is a really fun project. Um, the music documentary though, um, if you want to just talk about that, or I guess. If yeah, you yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, when I was, uh, 19 um i had the panasonic dvx which at the time was like the hot camera you know they filmed the rest of development on it and stuff and everything shoots on mini dv tape and um uh this was like 2006 or 7 and i got this idea in my head that i wanted to make a documentary about music and then people say well what about music like, what does that mean and the answer is like, it's about all, it's about music, like the subject of the entire art form. So why is music universal across cultures? Um, why do musicians uh, write music? Why does music make your feet move and make you dance? Why do we sing lullabies to our children? What is it about um, rhythm and melody and all these things that seem to be so um, programmed into our biology as a, as a, as a, as a living thing. Um, like what is this art form? And then on another level, um, I was really interested in the idea of, uh, people that are so, um, in their lane of what kind of music they listen to. So like the very common answer with music, when you ask people about that is they'll say, well, I listen to everything except rap and country, um, which is like very much a statement about, the kind of person that that person is like signaling that they want you to understand that they are. And there's certain people that, you know, you look at the guy that's, uh, you know, wearing all the horror stuff and you sort of assume that they listen to the misfits or you got, you know, the, the rap guy or the country guy, you know, there's so many, they're so categorical. And I think that um, I just think it's like very deep and true with music, especially that your brain is like not wired that way. Like music, uh, you know, broken down into genres, um, you know, music is just like time and movement and sounds and um, all of these like cultural barriers that we put up about uh, prejudices about like why I'm this kind of person. So I can't listen to any country or I'm this kind of person. So I can't listen to any of that rock and roll or whatever it is. Um, they're just not true. They're sold to, those ideas are sold to us by marketers that want to sell uh, music to certain demographics and stuff. And so I was really interested in like the fashion of that and the science of it. The science being that like, if you're one of those guys that only listens to country or whatever it is, you know, there's probably rap songs or jazz or whatever that you like, but you won't let yourself uh, like it because you have these, these cultural barriers. Um, so what I started doing when I was 19, and it's kind of amazing to think back on this, but when I was 19, it was like 2005, 2006 or something. And um, the idea of like a young guy with a camera, digital camera, um, making a documentary at that time was a very like new, cool in thing. Like the internet was, you know, they call kind of 2005 as like the full year of adoption. It was sort of just like officially in everyone's home at that time. And um, everyone had their, was starting to have their website and everything was sort of transitioning to online and uh, digital cameras were brand new and it was this new technology and the films were just starting to come out on this new thing and all this stuff. So I, all I did was um, 
make a gigantic dream list of uh, musicians to interview. And I started emailing their managers and their publishers, the publicists that were on their websites. And the response rate was uncanny. And the next thing I knew by the time I was uh, 19 and 20, um, I was filming interviews with Bela Fleck and Victor Wooten and DJ Spooky and Ari the Rugged Man and the President of the United States of America and Danny Warhols and Sugar Hill Gang and uh, I mean I'm forgetting there's so many of them that I'm Daniel Johnston big one oh, um, nice. and uh, yeah who's now you know unfortunately passed away of yeah. course um, and so funny enough like for that doc I actually have not only an interview with Daniel Johnston but a full show of his from New York in really? like 08 that I filmed that no one has ever seen. That is like the whole 50 minute long or whatever uh, show of his, um, which is now like a bar of gold. I mean, that's a, yeah. such an amazing piece of footage. Um, Funny too. And so, yeah, so I, I was, I gathered all this footage and this was uh, again, like 15 years ago. And I was going all, I went, I traveled to Seattle, Boston, uh, Montreal, Chicago. Uh, I was just all over the country filming for this thing. And it was a ton of fun. And I, I learned a lot. But um, after collecting like 100 hours of footage with like 75 or whatever different uh, interview subjects, it was just a big project, um, big, way bigger in scope than anything I'd ever done. And I had no backing. It was literally just me and a friend of mine at the time. And if you want to sort of talk about, um, like we, you mentioned with Mark Borchardt, like these sort of negative forces, the guy that I was working with, so I was like 19, he was 26. Um, I was shooting, like editing, creating, directing, making this whole project. And he was sort of helping me with it and tagging along and help, just helping out. And he was so utterly negative about the project um, and such a downer that it made it really difficult to uh, continue, basically. It was just really a drag. And so what I sort of did was um, I I sort of, for the the longest time, I left that footage on the shelf and I went off and I um, uh, made other films. I I made a documentary in 2011 called Canada's Best Kept Secret, which is... uh, a uh, biography uh, about 70 minutes uh, biography of a uh, um, uh, very prolific, uh, but kind of obscure uh, Canadian author. He was a naturalist um, and uh, wrote 30 books. Um, he wrote, wrote the natural history of Canada. Um, he wrote mainly uh, most of his work was about wolves. He studied wolves. Um, he rescued uh, about 2000 animals on his property. And um, it's just, a, I had, I through a family friend, I, um, kind of knew him basically and he passed away in like 2003 so it's a posthumous uh, piece but I interviewed uh, his um, widow and um, a lot of his friends and stuff and uh, I came out with that in 2011 um, I edited a uh, really uh, amazing doc uh, for Jeff Krulik who uh, Jeff is kind of a legendary documentarian uh, who did uh, Heavy Metal Parking Lot yeah. which is uh, a very uh, uh, super mega cult famous uh, uh, short doc from uh, 1985. Um, and Jeff has, is, has become a great friend of mine. I've edited a bunch of doc shorts for him. Um, and uh, Heavy Metal Picnic, I'm actually extremely proud to say that when I was just 23, um, I edited uh, his first feature length doc, which was Heavy Metal Picnic. It's 60 minutes long. That was in like 2010. Um 
And then right around that time, uh, I started uh, doing Hectic Knife. And, um, you know, Hectic Knife ended up, uh, excuse me, uh, taking up, like, um, you know, my whole life for a long time. Uh, but what I'll say is that what's been great about all making all those films is that um, finally, after all these years, I have linked up with a producer and I'm working with her and she's helping me uh, to finish uh, this music documentary. Um, so it'll finally see the light of day. I have a two hour plus uh, rough cut of it right now that uh, the producer and I are working on um, and we'll probably end up shooting some more footage uh, for it, um, cutting it down um, and uh, releasing it and stuff. And there's no timeline for this yet, but uh, just the fact that uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And then I'm kind of like, it's, it's, I, you know, I, I might be a starving artist, but I, I, for the first time in my life at 34, I get to say, uh, I get to start sentences with my producer which is such a dream come true. And uh, it's really awesome to be um, out in LA and actually working with uh, a producer on a real project that has people like Daniel Johnson. And so I'm really excited um, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, really excited about that. And I guess I should say one last that. So the, um, sorry to go on so long, but the, the last uh, project that I did, uh, I released this back in January of, of 2020 um, was a 20 minute doc, uh, called Ipsy Zamani. And that's, if anybody's a basketball fan, um, so Amani Bates is, uh, 16 years old and he is the, um, number one, uh, ranked, uh, prospect, uh, in basketball in the country. Um, he is actually heralded, hail, uh, heralded, hail, hail, what, I don't know. He's, uh, he's actually, um, it's, they're being, it's being said that he is legitimately, um, on the level of the next uh, Magic or LeBron. Um, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's thought of as the best uh, prospect uh, in the last 10 years. Um, and he happens to be from Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is about 40 minutes away from where I'm from. And I, I was fortunate enough to uh, link up with um, Matt Shook, who's a sports writer in Detroit and has become a good friend of mine. And Matt and I um, did a 20-minute documentary about him. And actually what was amazing was – so Ypsilanti is uh, just this, like, kind of baby brother city to Ann Arbor, kind of little town out in, in Michigan, and um, does not have any sort of basketball history to it or anything. So it's just sort of funny that this kid is from there. Um, and he was playing for this just sort of, like, nothing anonymous uh, team, uh, Lincoln High, in, uh, out in Ypsilanti. And uh, he brought them to a, uh, a state championship. And I was actually on the floor uh, filming in Lansing when they won the state championship on a buzzer beater of all things. So it was very exciting. Um, and it's just it's kind of a testament to his skills that he kind of – this team that was just like um, amazingly average for their whole history and all of a sudden they're winning the, the, the championship and stuff. Uh -huh. So it's such a cool little story. And we, obviously, we did an interview with him and his dad. And so – um, uh, hope, you know, obviously sort of fingers crossed, you know, what's going to happen, but, uh, it looks like he, so he'll be eligible for the 2022, uh, draft and, um, obviously hoping that, you know, he, his star rises and he goes far, uh, because, um, yeah, obviously it'd be cool. You know, the piece can kind of continue to have a life, but I'm really happy with how that turned out. And, um, all this stuff that I'm talking about too, by the way, is on, is on my website. So, yeah, we'll, we'll put a link up for the website as well. I've seen that documentary, really good stuff. Oh, that's thanks. Why, yeah, yeah. That's why I wanted to bring up documentaries because, like, you're, you're multifaceted, you know what I mean, with it. Sure. You can make, like, a, a real dramatic, 
you know, some pull emotion little documentary like that. And then you have the real fun exploitation y right, you know, right, like hectic right. knife and psycho wave stuff. I really appreciate that because like as a filmmaker and a fan, I both like I like to both, you know, do different genres and stuff. And you'll see a lot of people that do kind of the same stuff over and over again and there's nothing against that, but I always like to see people really kind of stretch their wings creatively, you know what I mean? And you're one of those filmmakers, so kudos. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, no, I appreciate that a whole lot. I, uh, you know, um, to me, uh, just to talk about that for a little bit, and I, I know I kind of can be long-winded with my answers here, but uh, no, a film is a film. Like, to me, it's like um, a five-second YouTube clip could, could be a film, uh, you know, or, or you know, Jacques Rivette's uh, 24-hour-long film of people just walking around. I mean, it's like, um, I, I try to not have any like bias and I try to not think too much. I, I think genre is really interesting and valid to uh, study. Um, but I try to not uh, like be bound down and, and boxed in by that kind of stuff. Um, I like genre bending. I, you know, you talk about the burbs, uh, for example, your shirt there, one of my favorite movies Um you know, is it a comedy? Is it a, a sort of horror thriller? Well, it's sort of, I mean, it's clearly hilarious and, and very much intentionally like trying to be a comedy, but it uses all kinds of genres. It even uses uh, elements of uh, Westerns and, and all kinds of um, other film, like, you know, uh, uh, noirs and, and uh, detective stuff. There's all kinds of like genre bent into that. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I think, um, again with like youtube and stuff uh you know the emergence of like this this video essay thing where these political people or whatever people will make like homemade documentary little video essays on youtube and that's all they will ever exist on is youtube um but that's just as valid to me i just think like anyone that's um you know uh pointing a camera and putting you know images and sounds together is kind of doing something up my alley and i'm just interested in that and, uh, I, you know, as a kid growing up, I loved, uh, Roger and me and, um, you know, just documentary stuff as much as the, the narrative stuff. And I don't really see much of a difference. So it's like, if I'm, you know, if I'm covering Amani Bates in, um, 4k, you know, HD, uh, playing basketball, or if I'm, you know, filming, uh, Hector Knife, they're, they're just like sto- stories, uh, uh, you know, to, to tell kind of, and it's just like my job to kind of do it the best way that it, it should be, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot though. Yeah. You brought up R.A. the Rugged Man. You, you're a fan of the, the, the yeah. music or how'd that come about? <laughs> sure. You- I, yeah. You know, I, um, I'm a fan of the music. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I had a connection to him uh, in New York. Uh, he actually went to the New York Film Academy not at the same time that I did, but, uh, around the same time. And he, um, you know, he very, I think everyone knows, you know, he linked up with, um, Ben and Lauder, uh, Ben and Lauder, yeah, Frank, to make Bad Biology, which, uh, in many ways I think of Bad Biology really as like RA's, uh, film, uh, with Frank as like a director for hire. Um, and, uh, I don't know how much I really care about that movie that much, but I like RA (laughs) a lot. And yeah, I was, uh, I was able to interview him for the, uh, for my music doc. And it was really funny. Um, uh, you know, eventually when the doc comes out, you'll sort of see his interview and he's sitting in his, uh, he has this, uh, I don't know if he's still living there. It was 15 years ago, but he had this apartment in Harlem 
and it was just like a mattress on the floor and then a wall of DVDs, like mostly yeah. horror, but like movies of all kinds. And he's, you know, he, look, he's a very um, interesting dude. You know, his dad fought in Vietnam. Uh, he's uh, friends with, uh, you know, a lot of my favorite uh, musicians like Wu-Tang and, and HR from Bad Brains, actually, who I didn't get to interview, but I really would have been a dream. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I love RA. Um, he was one of my favorite interviews cause his interview is absolutely hilarious. Uh, he says a lot of really funny stuff that you just could not write. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, definitely, definitely a fan. Yeah. I've been a big fan forever back in the day, like in 2007 ish, uh, a couple of years, I, uh, shot a lot of hip hop shows in our city up this way. I met nice. him, met him doing that and shot a show for him. And I shot some footage nice. for, uh, he was doing a documentary at the time called God Take, God Give, which was like based yeah. off of his father. Um, he shot footage of that. When I, I, yeah. I, I shot some footage he for that. Showed- got, got to meet his dad. Oh, wow. That was super cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, dude. That's so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just no, said, no, no, it's good. He, he showed me footage of himself naked. Like, you know, I, cause I was, I was, it was right around the same. It sounds like you were linked up with him at the same exact time. I did, cause it was probably 07. Yeah. And he was talking all about his doc and he showed me a bunch of footage of it after the interview. And it's him like naked, like joking on his girlfriend or just like flopping around the house and stuff. And, you know, footage of his dad. And that's amazing, man. Yeah, no, that's really cool that you should, that you worked on that. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a lunatic. Unfortunately, it never yeah. came out. Unfortunately. Well, now nah, his father passed away like shortly after. And I oh think my gosh! It just kind of like dwindled away. One of those things. Wow, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that it ever came out. I did. I should know. Wow. Well, maybe someday. Hopefully. Hopefully it will someday. I mean, and it was cool because um, you get into like um, you like underground rap, like regularly underground rap, like Jedi Mind Tricks and Ill Bill, Necro, all that stuff. Or I love uh, I love Jedi Mind Tricks, and it's uh, you know I don't know if they have a big Boston following or just. It's a coincidence, but my other friends uh, from Boston just absolutely love those guys. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, I have to admit. Um, I mean, my, I guess, I guess this does count. So, my my one of my favorite musicians of all time, uh, and absolute favorite artist that I was just obsessed with for years and always will be is uh, MF Doom. Yeah, um, and so of course, you know, Operation Doomsday and Food were like huge albums in my life, and uh, you know, I love uh, Wu Tang and pretty much all members of Wu Tang. Um, but I have to be honest with you, like, you know, RA, Jedi Mind Tricks, Wu-Tang, those guys, I mean, I know all that stuff, but my, my knowledge of, uh, hip hop is somewhat like limited. I do love yeah. that music. Um, but I don't, I mean, beyond those guys that you mentioned, I don't really know that many of the other artists and stuff, but, uh, yeah, but I, I love Jedi Mind Tricks for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd like those other guys. Yeah. They're like I like I like everything underground, film, music, the whole deal. It's like all yeah. that struggle, you know, coming from the underground shit. Of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was cool times. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, with Daniel Johnson, any cool stories about Daniel Johnson? I don't want to give away too much because you know you got stuff I, you coming know, with him. Maybe I honestly don't. I you know the interview with him was really short. It was probably less than twenty minutes. Uh, you know, when I linked up with him, it was after uh, the Devil and John- Daniel Johnson had come out. Uh, Great, do- love that documentary. Great documentary, really good doc. Uh, and um, 
So by that time, his career had kind of had a little bit of a big resurgence, though, because of that doc. And so yeah. what I found, um, and again, keep in mind that this is like 12, 13 years ago, but uh, his brother, um, I don't, you know, his brother was essentially like his, his manager and was sort of helping him day to day. And so I kind of dealt with his brother and his brother just kind of like left Daniel and I alone in the trailer, like before the show. And I did the interview really quick uh, and he was a super nice guy, but you know, you could tell that he was really nervous. Uh, he was really medicated. Um, he was uh, very polite and kind and just like easygoing and stuff. But um, just like a kind of a cool guy to be around, but I was really only interacting with him for like, again, less than a half hour. And then I just filmed the show and that was that. And I really haven't had any touch with them or anything since then. Um, so no, nothing really remarkable happened, but, uh, it was amazing to film that and, uh, I'm excited to eventually, obviously just to release it eventually, but, um, yeah, no, nothing. No, I don't have, I unfortunately don't have any really good stories with that one though. How cool would it have been to get a nice Daniel Johnston, uh, original drawing for the cover of the movie, the dog. I know, right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That would be, that would be sick. That would be cool. Yeah. Me and Alexander the Hawk were at the gathering earlier this year where Jedi Mind Tricks performed. Nice. And with, that, with the Detroit thing I always want to bring up, is Greg a fan of the Insane Clown Posse? <laughs> so, <laughs> funny enough, uh, we recorded the Hectic Knife soundtrack at ICP's uh, studio. Really? Yes. So, the Lotus um, Pod there? Uh, say again? The Lotus Pod? Uh, I don't know what it's called, but this is, this is the story. This is what I'll say. So any super hardcore fan of ICP, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about this. My, uh, no worries, man. No worries. Well, just for some reason, my, uh, camera like cuts out on its own. So I I should be back. Okay. That's okay. I have that issue with my audio sometimes. Um, so, okay. Any, any, I, I, I should preface this with that. I am not, I like, I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't know what I should, I don't know what to say about ICP. I am not a juggalo and I yeah. should not, I'm not like a, some big fan. I've never owned one of their albums. I, I only know a few songs. I'm not really, I don't really know much about them, but this is what I'll say is yeah. that um, any hardcore fan of theirs, I'm sure will know that a Mike E. Clark. So Mike course, yeah. E. Clark, yeah, right. So um, Pete, who plays Hectic Knife, uh, was working with Mike E. Clark for a while. And it just so happened that Mike E. Clark's, uh, house uh was the icp studio for a while now i don't know if that still exists that was like you know five that was gosh that was yeah like eight, whatever uh, it was eight years ago or whatever fun house, i don't know fun house i think they called the fun house studio i yeah right something like that yeah i mean i again i don't this was i'm trying to remember what year this would have been this would have been like 2012 or 13 yeah. so it's like it was a while back but um it, it just so happens that the house was not far at all from where Pete and I grew up. Uh, it, funny enough, like if you, if you've seen eight mile, um, you know, Pete and I, you know, he, you know, the, the heck knife crew got, you know, the two of us were from 22, I'm from 22 mile road and Pete is from 25 mile road. Okay. So the, uh, the ICP house was like in a town called Sterling Heights, which is um, a few miles South of us. Like I want to say around like 15 mile or somewhere around there. So it was just a house, just his, his house in the suburbs. And then the basement was converted into a full studio. And uh, Mikey Clark was like the nicest guy, actually the really the sweetest, nicest guy like you'll ever meet. Um, and 
he would have these funny stories about like being in Detroit in the late eighties and like, um, all the guys like making fun of this, like nerdy looking dude coming into the studio and then he would like rap and it would be awesome. And then that was like kid rock and like he did a bunch of stuff with Eminem and all this stuff back in the day. But, um, uh, I was not there for this, but Pete was working on the hectic soundtrack one night and, uh, the ICP, the two guys came in to the studio and uh, they were not in the makeup. They were just yeah. like normal. And Pete called them prolific and they didn't know what that word meant, which I thought was funny. <laughs> and then uh, I remember looking at the, I was like, you know, cause a lot of it was just like Pete was working on the music and I was kind of listening and doing stuff. So I was like wandering around and I found lyric sheets of theirs on um, like music stands. Cause they had obviously been like recording recently yeah. and there was like, you know, not, they're not typos. It was like mistakes. It would be like the wrong form of the word your, or like the yeah. wrong form of like there, like it would have an, an I in it when it's not supposed to and stuff. Yeah. So I thought that was also funny. And then I just remember Pete saying that um, they were going to like, they weren't in their makeup and then, they were going to be filmed. So they're like, we got to go paint up. And they like did their, you know, they kind of like went in the bathroom and like did their paint job. But I, I, from what Pete said, they were like the sweetest, nicest guys, very like mellow and like down to earth, not like sort of, uh, you know, all crazy what you think. But, and from what I have heard, I really, to be honest with you, I have not interacted with very many juggalos. You might be surprised. Yeah. But uh, they generally are like really nice people. Yeah, um, sure. you know. Yeah, we, we you know. joke about it all the time because I was telling, I'm always telling him about how because I have two different Facebook pages and like the other one I have, I have my my main page, which is like people that I actually interact with kind of on a regular basis, and then mm-hmm. my other one is more like show orient orientated, and yeah. I think. I'm almost at the limit on that page of people I can have as friends. And I think the vast majority of everybody on that page is a juggalo. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't believe I'm like, I'm like, Maddie, what the heck is it with all these juggalos all of a sudden adding me? Cause like, it's not even, I don't like, it's funny because my dad listens to ICP and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I, I, I'll, you know, I'll listen to it if he's listening to it, but it's not sure, my thing. Sure. sure, sure. So, I'm like, I'm, I'm laughing. Like they're inviting me to, you know, join their groups and, you know, so, you know, it's just, it's just. Do it. They, yeah, join it. Do it. They're, it. Yeah, they're, they're very YouTube. supportive of what they're supportive of. You can get sprayed with uh, Fago, which is basically just like uh, local Detroit pop. Uh, yeah. The blueberry yeah. kind as well. There's, a, yeah. there's, a, there's actually a, a rapper. If you want, you know, out right now, that's got a song about Fuego. Yeah, there you go. The uh-huh. Fuego, yeah. Yeah, fit, yeah. Trying to be out. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and the, the mellow thing, uh, you know, it's funny that some of the, like, the artists that I've met that are the most, like, I met, like, uh, like I worked with both Necro, who's, like, an underground, like, murder, kill you rapper, and then, like, I worked with, like, one of the singers from Blood for Blood, the hardcore band that, you know, yeah. they, they were the two most mellow, most respectful people I've ever worked with. Because they get it all out in their music, you know what I mean? It's therapeutic, so they're like, they, they don't have that edge, and then it's like the other people that you meet, and they're like, you know. Yes. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I think that the G.G. Allen thing is like a very rare thing, Yeah. That where the guy is like crazy and then actually crazy all the time. I yeah. think that what you said is mostly true, and I also actually think that a lot of times 
these guys that have a very like clean cut uh, image are the kind of crazier, more rough around the edges guys in their real lives. I think it almost happens reverse for a, a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. You and Peter, I, I thought you and Peter met in New York. You guys. No, no, we went to high school together. Yeah, we went to high school together. He's briefly in um, that movie that I made when I was 16 and a bunch of his music is. Uh, we, he's a, he was a grade above me. So he graduated Oh three, I'm Oh four. Um, and, uh, he was, you know, he's a musician first, you know, that's his yeah. like thing. And, uh, I was a huge fan of his, uh, band. Um, and I used to go to all their little shows and stuff back, uh, in our hometown, uh, whenever they would play. And I was sort of one of the little super fans, like following them around. Um, nothing wrong with giving groupie love. Exactly. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I, I, so I moved to New York when I was 17 and then he moved to New York when he was like 23 or something. So it was like a few years later, I had already been out there. We were really just sort of, um, acquaintances. I had never done a drug, didn't do a drug in my life at all until I was 26. Um, and he was sort of like the drug guy in high school. Uh, so it's like the first time I was ever like around weed being smoked in my life was actually like with Pete when they would have their band practices and stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, then, so yeah, so when we were sort of acquaintances, but we didn't really overlap that much. And then when I was, he knew I was living in New York and he wanted to move there. So he sort of started, um, calling me and like talking to me more about like, what's it like to live there and all this stuff. And then he sort of just so happened to also move um, into the same neighborhood that I was living in. So we used to walk to each other's houses like every day. And that's really how Hectic Knife like started because we um, would walk, we basically would walk around our neighborhood and uh, like just write stuff and make stuff, make little shorts together and stuff. Um, And uh, that's sort of how Hectic was born. There's actually uh, sort of like for sale, I never really sold one, but like, um, there's a, a DVD. There's only been like a hundred that were ever printed or anything, but uh, it's called Short Films for Nobody, and it's just the uh, collection of all the sh- little shorts that um, Pete and I were doing uh, around like '08 to '0 to like '10. Um, that Hector Knife kind of was like born out of one of those. Yeah, so those were fun. You guys both wrote it, right? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. And I'll, yeah. I'll get the video back in a second. Yeah, we both wrote it. Um, um, we, we, yeah, we, uh, it, the way it all breaks down, we both wrote it together. Um, you know, I shot, edited and directed it. Uh, and he did, he's, you know, starred in it, um, produced it and did all the music. So, and it really, it literally was just the two of us, um, doing the whole thing. And I would say that, uh, just a rough estimation, um, I probably sank about 15,000, uh, into it and he probably sank like five or ten into it when it's all said and done um, yeah. but it was all our own money uh, and all that money's gone forever. <laughs> yeah. beautiful yeah I love the zaniness of it, it it's Thanks. yeah yeah that's that's a lot of that no Pete I mean I you know comedy is like my favorite thing and I don't I don't think I'll ever do too many things that don't at least have a little bit of humor to them. But, um, you know, it's almost like I describe it. It's almost like Pete was kind of um, like Pete's almost like an outsider artist. And then he's just like way off the map. And so Pete would be like, yeah, we have to. I 
by the way, Greg, like like five minutes before we shoot, it's like, oh, by the way, like uh, a dozen bagels is going to be like a prop in this like scene. And it's like, okay, cool, whatever. Like, I don't, whatever that is, I don't know what that means, but like, sure. And then it would sort of be my, my job to like filter whatever that is into any kind of reality that like makes any sense. So it was um, Pete's uh, utter sort of weirdness and comedic brilliance was sort of like filtered through my kind of lens and like shaped uh, into, into what's a, what, you know, what's on screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I love hectic. Like, like I said, when I seen that, you don't see like in the, in, in the underground film world, you don't see, especially comedy. Like you don't catch good comedy that well. And I don't want to give bad hard times to anybody. No, you I hear don't you. usually catch comedy, like comedy that you laugh at that much. And heck, and Psycho Ape as well. A lot of laughs in it. You know, it's full of. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I'm sorry to, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, no, I appreciate that a ton. And I will say that, like, um, I do, I love, I love all genres and I like, I love horror movies. There's some that I especially love and some of my favorites and stuff. But I come from a pure, like, comedy background and I don't really aspire to ever make, like, a horror movie. and to me, uh, you know, I think because of trauma, I think it's got the word knife in the title. There's a lot of like bloody gore. So people just like think that Hectic Knife is like a horror movie or a slasher, but it's not at all. Like it's purely a comedy. And it's actually to me making fun of, um, you know, like exploitation and um, like underground and sort of uh, action cinema way more than it really has anything to even do with horror at all. Um, now I absolutely appreciate, uh, the sort of horror audience that has, um, embraced hectic for sure. But I will say that like, there are times, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be like jerky at all, but I, it's like, I will say that, um, there are times when people like refer to it as a horror movie and I almost kind of like cringe and it's sort of like, yeah, it's a comedy. Like, I, I hope that you laughed. Like, it's a comedy. You know, like, I mean, most horror movies don't have, like, you know, crazy bagel scenes that go on for a million hours. You know what I mean? It's sort of like it. You, I hope that you notice that there's, like, this is all jokes. Like, it's supposed to be crazy, silly. Um, I know I appreciate that a ton. You know, going back to what I was saying before about uh, stand up comedy and the way that. so you know, if people don't know or whatever, the, the, the way that a stand-up comedian builds their hour-long special is that, you know, the, they write material, they go out, they go to a small club with, like, 20 people in the audience, they they do 15 minutes of it. And if five minutes of that material that they wrote doesn't work, which means it doesn't get any laughs, they just cut that part. And so it's like, okay, now I have 10 minutes. And they do that until... Um, until they have built themselves up to having an hour of solid stuff that they then sort of structure into, um, into the out, like, you know, they order order it and do all that stuff and they they make it flow. That's how that is built. And so I love um, the sort of like scientific economical approach to that, which is basically that even if they love a joke, if it's not getting laughs, they don't, tell it anymore they cut that's considered fat that you're going to slice off the bone right so the idea with hectic knife like so we we filmed all the we filmed the majority of it um 
over about a year or two year period from 10 to 12. And then with that footage, I cut together uh, a rough cut that was an hour 50 and it was bloated and there were scenes in it that just went on for like four minutes that were just like one joke going on and on. And I basically cut that hour 50 down to about an hour 10 and then we did reshoots and got it back up to the 82 minutes. But there was a point when the movie was 90 minutes and because the final runtime is 82. And it was very important to me um, to, uh, because there is no real like story. There's no like major arc for the characters. The characters don't like learn anything. They don't really go on any kind of like emotional journey. It's all just like crazy jokes and weird stuff. So um, it was really important to me to not wear out the audience. So to me, 90 minutes was like criminally too long. It was going to be boring at that length. So what I started doing, and we didn't really have any budget, but it was like I, um, in that same way that a stand-up comic does their material in short doses and kind of tries to uh, build, you know, test, it's called testing the material. I really believe in testing in that way. And uh, a lot of people, when they think of like test audiences and focus groups, they think of like Hollywood taking an artist's work and then like screwing it all up by testing it and like chopping it up and like the director crying and it's this whole mess. But what it was for me was I wanted to show the movie to strangers at 90 minutes and see what they thought and, and use that as test material to understand, okay, what can be like cut out of this? What is like, what are people just like not laughing at at all? What's the least funny stuff? What's not working the most, et cetera. And so I did that, we did that, did that process for a few months where I just would like show the 90 minute version to people and then just slowly tighten it and cut it down. And um, I am really proud of the 82 minutes. I actually have to say right before I moved here to LA, um, we did a screening of it uh, for like 20 people um, in a yard uh, very with all those masks and very safe in COVID. But it was, uh, it just, I'm very proud of screening that movie publicly. It always gets um, wall-to-wall laughter throughout the whole thing. Um, it gets laughter in, like, the right places. Uh, the audience really seems to respond. Um, and I think that's all owed to, like, that work that we really put in. Now, granted, I'm not happy that it took five years to do all that. That's, like, a long time. But, um, you know, I really, like, put that movie through its paces. And I really appreciate you saying that. And I just think that, yeah, I think to me, um, I love underground cinema, cinema. I love uh, underground art of all kinds, but I will say to kind of echo what you were saying, and it's not to trash on anybody at all, but it's sort of this thing that it's like, I think that, um, I think especially with filmmaking, people get way too married to their own uh, material and you'll watch these movies and it'll be like five minutes will go by with like nothing has happened and there's just no even attempt at a joke or anything even interesting happening. And it's like, come on. And you're just like looking at your watch, like, wait, when is the next scene going to happen and stuff? And um, yeah, I just think that there, it's, it, it has to do with amateurness. I think it has to do with not being conscious enough of that audience out there and sort of just thinking that whatever you do is gold and being not sort of self-aware enough of pacing and things like that. And so, yeah, I really wanted to be um, really, conscious of that. And then, so when it came time to do Psycho Ape, by the way, um, you know, I think anybody that watches Psycho Ape and Hectic, especially uh, like, especially if you watch them back to back, but if you watch them at any time, 
I think you'll see the, the obvious uh, similarities uh, throughout the whole thing. That structurally they're similar. Um, the the sort of villain is similar. They both have these like silly torture scenes. Um, they both have like a weird main character that's sort of like the straight man in a weird universe, but like they're still weird too. Um, they they there's a lot of similarities in those in those two pieces. But um, it was the same thing with uh, Psycho Ape, like, that movie is only, like, 64 minutes long, and uh, same thing, it's like, Addison and I were just like, yeah, we do not want to wear out our welcome with this, we don't have a story, and I have to say that I really um, relied on instinct a lot uh, making Psycho Ape, because we really um, did not really write that much of it beforehand, like, we had written the New York uh, ending, and we had written the slumber party scene in the beginning, but we really didn't write that much of the middle to be totally honest. And uh, it, so with, like, even with hectic, you know, we really wrote like that whole movie for sure. And um, we just didn't have as much material written. So it's like, I, I, we were really blessed to work with like super talented people. Uh, obviously Bill and Kansas were amazing. Um, but uh, you know, Dylan Greenberg and Amanda flowers were absolutely amazing. Uh, and everyone that's in it uh, just like helped out so much and added so much to it. But uh, no, I really like relied on instinct. And I think that um, like, I've also, you know, been to live screenings of Psycho Ape and stuff. And uh, again, wall to wall laughs. And I'm like really proud of that. And I think that that's just like um, kind of me learning how to do that from having done hectic and just putting that work in and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Kansas and Bill were like phenomenal in it, you know, really yeah. great stuff. Um They'll probably even get some nods during the uh, the old festival run. I feel. I yeah. hope so. Yeah, they deserve it. They definitely deserve so. it. Yeah. How'd you meet Kansas? Was it through? Was it kind of through? I know she did BC Butcher with Trauma. Was it kind of through that, or was it another way? Yeah. Well. So yes. Yeah, so funny enough. Uh, so so BC Butcher is a brilliant little uh, film that uh, Kansas Bowling directed when she was only, um, I think, like sixteen. Um, or 17 or something like that. And it's, uh, it's actually, she shot it on 16 millimeter and she actually only shoots on 16 millimeter, which is quite Im- impressive and amazing. Yeah. And uh, she's absolutely brilliant. And um, so BC Butcher and uh, Hectic Knife came out at the exact same time uh, at Troma. And yeah. I had never, I didn't, I was like sort of very much in my little bubble of like working on Hector Knife and I really didn't know what BC Butcher was or who Kansas was at all. I legitimately think that the first time I saw her name, because it's like two words, like Kansas Bowling, like there are other words. So I was like, is that a person? Like, I didn't know what it, what I was looking at. Yeah, I didn't even register it yet. But, um, and, you know, I, th- I, I think I was like in my yeah, I was like probably 27 or something or whatever at the time sort of when they came out. So um, I didn't think anything of it and I didn't really, I didn't know Kansas or anything. And then Pete worked with her on a music video and um, I came to find out that she was like a huge uh, fan of Hectic Knife. Um, so she uh, like called it the best film of 2016. Yeah. Um, she's made a bunch of posts about it. She's re- She just really supports it and really loves it. Um, and, uh, so when it came time to do, um, Psycho Ape with Addison, um, and I didn't have, uh, Instagram and she didn't have, uh, Facebook, which I kind of was using the most of the time. Kind of funny how those things like cross over or whatever, but, uh, Addison was sort of like talking to Kansas and he was like, yeah, I'm working with Greg on this thing. 
And I'm very proud to say that she signed on like just because I was involved, just because of, of Hectic. And um, we've become great friends. It's, I think it's it's really cool because, uh, you know, again, I made a movie on my own when I was uh, 16. She did the same thing. Um, and so we just uh, really kind of click um, artistically. We just really sort of are similar uh, in our process. We both do guerrilla filmmaking and stuff. And she's... Um, like so uh, easy to work with really, really funny um, and just super talented. And so it's just like a dream really working with uh, both her and Bill. And I got to say with, like, so Bill too, um, yeah, he is like in a world beyond everybody, man. He, he's a cult. He needs a cult following for himself. He's amazing. He is 80 years old and he's like more spry than I am. And, uh, <laughs> he has like more energy than I do. And he, I'm like jealous of his energy and he is so amazing. And, um, it's funny. Like I, I was actually hanging out in Kansas yesterday and we, we FaceTimed with Bill, like just ran it. We just, we didn't know, we, we didn't tell him we were going to call, we just called him. We we're all like mm-hmm. reminiscing and saying hi, but like, um, you know, we, Addison and Steve and I went out, we drove out to New York, uh, filmed with Kansas and Bill. And then the five of us all road tripped it back to, um, Detroit. And gosh, for those 10 hours in the car, it was just like the most fun road trip you've ever had. Um, it was so awesome. And um, we sang songs and we just goofed off and joked around and it was the most fun. And Bill to this day will tell you that was like the most fun he's like ever had making a movie. He like just loved it. But um, what a talented guy. Um, so uh, fun to work with. So funny. Um, his uh, rap song, his thing that he sings, <laughs> he, wrote that, he wrote that himself. Oh, really? Um, yeah, That's even, that it. makes it even better. I thought that was your hip hop background. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so yeah, no, and it was they just we all had a blast. It was no, that was it was so fun, and we I you know we owe so much of um, that movie like working at all to to them. They really, uh, yeah, they really did amazing. Bills in my road, that road trip could be some great uh, bonus features on the DVD. I know, right? I wish we had all that. We wish we filmed that whole thing. And the anniversary DVD Blu-ray, definitely. You know what I mean? We got well, Bill Bill is- our next movie. He's in my Wicked Bill- Hollows film coming up. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. No, he's a dream to uh, work with, and I, and I will say that Bill has been. Um, the most amazing cheerleader and champion of psycho. He just absolutely loves it. And also um, he has been like pushing hard for us all to like do a commentary track and like have more features on the DVD. And uh, I would love to do that. I think that'd be really, really fun to do. Um, I actually will say that, um, you know, it's what's interesting about psycho is that, uh, it was really born out of uh, tragedy. I mean, if you if you don't mind, I can kind of give a little bit of the backstory of that yeah, film. Yeah, if you don't mind, yeah, for sure. Oh, sure, sure. So, um, so I I finished. Uh, I was twenty nine. I was I was living with my wife in our like dream suburban home in uh, Michigan. Um, we did a screening of sight of uh, Hectic Knife in uh, Detroit, and I met Edison at the screening. He was there and um, met him, kind of. Uh, Hired him on the spot to be my assistant because I was doing really well doing video work at the time. And um, so Addison started coming over to my house uh, like twice a week. Um, and he helped uh, promote Hectic Knife. Actually, to the extent that um, 
kind of unfortunately for me, but a lot of people seem to think that Addison directed Hex Knight because he was the one that was mailing out Giving them away. I remember remember that, yeah. Exactly. So, um, and I think just the relation with, like, Psychoape and stuff, I think people just sort of forget that I exist and whatever, that's fine. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, so Addison was helping. Yeah, right. We brought Uh, Greg in. We brought yeah, Greg. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so Addison uh, was helping promote um, Hectic, and uh, we were, became buddies and friends and stuff. And uh, he sort of casually mentioned in passing one day back in like 17 or 18, he's like, oh, yeah, I was out drinking with my friend last night. And uh, we just like were joking around at a bar and we thought of this idea called Psycho Ape, where it's like, because we have, a, he was like, we have a gorilla costume already. And he's like, what if an ape was just, like, murdering people with knives and, like, it was killing people? And I was like, okay. Like, I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't – I, you know, at the time, I was working on my own stuff, and my wife was uh, disabled, and I was, you know, in a very tight bubble taking care of her and um, just sort of living that suburban life, right? raising dogs and all that good stuff. And um, didn't think anything of it. And then um, uh, in – what was it? 2000 in September of 2018 or basically like, I don't know. I don't remember the timeline, but, but uh, yeah, September, September of 2018. Um, Addison's like close friend, the guy that he had come up with psycho with, uh, passed away himself. Uh, he overdosed. And, and, and also at the same time, Addison was going through some major, uh, health problems. Um, we actually thought he had leukemia. Thank God he didn't. Um, but he was really uh, struggling for a while too. So he was going through a really, really rough time. And um, then in uh, January of 2019, uh, my wife passed away from uh, sepsis uh, after a surgery. Uh, um, Yeah. Uh, And so I was grieving. um, And uh, really the first thing that I did, uh, I think this was like February yeah, February of 19. Um, the first thing that I did was, uh, um, go to a show with, uh, Addison. It was like the first thing I did to kind of like get out of the house. And so I went to this thing with Addison and, uh, when we were driving back from the show, uh, he, um, asked me, do, do you want to do psychoic with me? And I was really surprised, um, because I really, didn't I like not that I like totally forgot about it but like I didn't even really know it was like on his radar of stuff he wanted to do and I think um I think when his friend died uh his friend's mom sort of let Addison come over and like take the ape uh costume mm-hmm. um because it was his friend's costume and stuff oh, and um yeah so um so in February of 19 when I'm like you know, crying every day and going to grief support groups and really struggling as hard as you can imagine. Um, I would go over to Addison's house and hang out with him and Steve once a week. And we would watch, uh, ape movies. We would watch, um, you know, like mighty Joe young and all these silly (laughs) movies. And, um, we started writing and the only thing that they had that him and his friend had written at all, uh, was the, like, a like, kind of the concept of the slumber party scene in the beginning of the movie. And uh, 
we so we came up with the whole thing. We changed we changed it from uh, knives to killing people with bananas. Yeah. We came up with the whole like uh, Nancy Banana concept and the Bill concept, and uh, just kind of got kind of got the idea that it was going to be like parodying all these other movies, and it should end with the King Kong stuff and everything like that, the Inglorious Bastards uh, scene and everything. And um, we wrote it for a few months, and then. Addison was doing these uh, Kickstarters and that's how we raised the budget. And uh, when the Kickstarters took off, that was unbelievable. Like, honestly, he only asked for like 500 bucks and he raised like 7,000 or something. That that really, that, yeah, that allowed us to, um, you know, hire Bill in Kansas proper and drive out to New York and do all the stuff we had to do. But um, no, it's, it's really like, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, it's like sad and it's, very bittersweet and stuff. Uh, you know, the movie was really such a silly, uh, fun movie was born out of absolute, the hardest uh, tragedy ever. Yeah. And it really, I have to say that, um, in those ways, uh, doing psychoape and also I will add doing Ipsy Zamani cause I did them at the same time. Um, doing those projects, but you know, talking about psychoape now, uh, really saved my life. It really got me out of the house. It got me um, back into the world. Um, the trip I did out to New York in the summer of that year was uh, life-saving because it just got me back into um, the this you know New York, the city that I was familiar with, and you know making making films out there and um, doing. It was all therapeutic and, for you. And absolutely therapeutic for sure, and. Um, yeah, I met so many uh, friends. Um, there's two girls that are uh, in the slumber party scene, uh, Hunter and Darby, that were fr- had happened to be friends with Kansas, and they happened to live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and so I became really, really good friends with them. I still talk to them all the time, um, and obviously Kansas and a bunch of other people and Bill. Uh, so I got I made a bunch of new friends, and um, it, it really, really like saved my life and stuff. And I, I, um, you know, I basically think that like the story that I just told, I think that that story should be like told because I think that um, like if, whether you hear that story before or after you watch the movie, I think it paints it all with a different brush. It's sort of like if you hear that story before you watch the movie, it's kind of like, Oh, I'm really interested to see like what this is like um, because it was born as a tragedy. And it's so interesting that it's like this kooky, weird, zany, funny, cartoony thing. But then I think if you were to watch the movie and then hear the story afterward, I think you would sort of, maybe if you thought it was just a bunch of silly nonsense, you might sort of think about it a little bit differently that like, oh, okay, they were sort of working out grief and stuff. And I will say to sort of add um, like a capper to all this tragedy. So um, my neighbor across the street uh, back in Michigan where I was living with my wife, uh, he kind of saved my dog and I by taking us in um, and letting us uh, rent out like a spare room. And uh, that's where I like finished cutting psychoip and stuff. And he was um, the sweetest guy you'll ever meet. And uh, he like loved uh, Hectic Knife actually. He actually called me Hectic and it became my nickname in our little neighborhood. And I'll, every, I'd be walking the dog, hey, Hectic, I would hear that all the time. And, um, he, uh, um, loved the whole idea of like me making psychoape and stuff. And I would tell him about, it. he loved Ipsy Zamani. We, we got to be on the local news, um, when we did Ipsy Zamani and he like, we all watched that together and he was so excited and stuff. 
And so he was such a cheerleader and champion. And unfortunately he passed away um, like a week before it was finished and he never got to see it. And I was always kind of sad about that, but it's just kind of amazing how the whole production of Psycho Ape was sort of bookended by all this really sad uh, tragedy, uh, tragic stuff. We had, in fact, to be totally honest with you, we did the very last uh, shots of Psycho Ape um, at my old roommate's house, which was just kind of amazing that that just all happened that way. But yeah, but, um, yeah. so I just, I don't know. I think that, I think Bill is right. There needs to be like a commentary track. There needs to be like Addison and I sort of interviewed telling this story together or something like that because it really, and I, I should also shout out, by the way, Steve, um, who I met through Addison, who plays the ape, um, and from what I understand is uh, Addison's, like, childhood friend going back to kindergarten. Um, Steve is just, like, the absolute sweetest guy. Um, he did such a good job uh, as the ape. Uh, he's not an actor, like, you know, or anything. He's just, like, Addison's friend. Uh, but he did such a good job, um, and he was such a trooper for, like, go, you know, going all the way out to New York and running around Times Square in an ape costume. And stuff. I mean, he just, you know, he went above and beyond uh, everything, and uh, I really think, um, like, Steve uh, doesn't get enough credit. He's kind of like the unsung hero of uh, that movie, just working and stuff, because, um, yeah, I think I think a part of it for him was it was really fun to, like, be in a movie and everything, but I think also part of it was, uh, you know, getting to help his, his friend and then his friend, you know, friends and me um, kind of seeing what we were grieving. You know, he was grieving, too, Jonathan. The guy Jonathan was his friend as well. But... Um, yeah, I think I just think Steve was like did such an awesome job, and it was really cool to work with him and meet him and stuff. So yeah, yeah, a lot that of good. Be, that could be a whole nother feature, right? Right. With I all hear, of yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't yeah. spoil anything. I was I almost spoiled something in the ending, but I wasn't going to spoil it. Oh, dude, you're fine. <laughs> you, can, you can spoil away. I don't think uh, it's not one of those things where it's like six cents where you have to like where it matters, like what happens at the end. Well, I'll just say if somebody can take that fall and come back to life, then somebody else can take that fall and come back. <laughs> right. to life. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Very good. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I like that ending was great too. It's, it's King Kong, of course, but like it still had emotion to it. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and King Kong yeah. always gets me, you know, even the Peter Jackson King Kong got me, you know, it's coming, <laughs> but it still gets you. You know what I mean? Kong, you know, I will say, I, you know, I, I loved King Kong as a kid, the original 33 version. Yeah. I loved it as a kid. And, um, you know, obviously Jurassic Park sort of, like, references King Kong, and it's kind of, you know, movie history owes so much to King Kong. But I, one thing I thought was really funny is when we um, started making Psycho Ape, I really didn't realize that, like, the monkey and ape movie is like kind of a genre of its own. There's like a lot of them and it's just kind of weird to me because I never really thought about that, but there's really a lot and it's really kind of strange. Like why are there so many? It's just a weird sub genre, I guess of like, you know, you got everything from like Dunstan checks in to, you know, to Kong to Mighty Joe Young to Planet of the Apes, which is one of my favorite movies, of course, you know, great, amazing movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just very odd to me that that's like, that that is a thing. It's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Congo, schlock. That actually, that, what, oh my God, there was that one with Tony Danza from like the 80s. Oh gosh. Yeah. Was it Going Ape or something like that? I the name going Ape. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. Yeah, one, what, any Which Way But Loose? Is that the Clint Eastwood? That's the Clint Eastwood one. You know, it's funny, it's funny you mentioned schlock because yeah. uh, 
I will say, so I'm actually, I'm a huge John Landis fan. I'm, I can't to say that I'm not a fan of his uh, onset directing style. Like, I don't like the tyrannical directors that, like, shout at everybody through a bullhorn. I get very turned off by that. You don't like the Twilight Zone style of directing? Yeah, no, I, exactly. I don't like uh, my actors' heads getting lopped off. <laughs> I, I, I am tiring, I swear. But, no, um, but... um. No, I'm but I uh, I'm a huge fan of of John Landis's movies. I, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this in as a short aside. John Landis's best movie, and dare I say, by far, is a documentary he made called Slasher. And people think that Slasher is about horror movies. It's not. It's a verite documentary about a car salesman. That is one of the most amazing movies ever made. It is a, it is amazingly good. Uh, so that's a weird aside, but, um, no, Schlock though. I, so Addison and I watched Schlock, um, to kind of prepare for Psychwave. And I have to say that as much as I love John Landis and he's like, actually really is one of my favorite directors and I love his work. Um, I don't think Schlock is really very good at all. And I will say that it was a little bit my mission to outdo Schlock because Schlock is like 70 minutes and it's just a guy in an ape costume running around and makes no sense. And it's a bunch of non sequiturs, but there's a bunch of really boring stuff in it where like one scene will go on for like eight minutes and it's nothing's happening. Where like, there's a thing at the end where the runtime is just like padded out by like five minutes of footage from the blob, like for no reason. So it's like, I was basically thinking in my head, like, okay, if we can, if we can just do better than schlock, like that was like my like mission of like focusing in on like, this is like my like motivating force is like, we're going to make something funnier and more dynamic than schlock. And and, um, look, I know John Landis is like a big celebrity director and blah, blah, blah. But I think that if you did a blind Pepsi Coke test with Psychoape and schlock to anyone out there that didn't know what they were, I definitely think psychoape would would win that contest so i'm i don't mean to toot my own horn on that one but i don't think schlock would would hold up it's got all that new age editing in it that's what it is (laughs) yeah slasher is a great documentary that dude's voice like yeah just it just sounds like cigarettes are just like you know yeah i'm that's you know i'm glad that you've seen it not many people have seen it and it's absolutely brilliant it's hilarious and it's very deep and it's brilliant the voice is painful. Yeah, it's just like this guy who's like, was he losing his family or something like that? Was it like well, he's, crumbling around him or something? It's not even that he's losing him. It's just sort of that like he lives this crazy rock star life where he's on the road all the time. Yeah. And uh, his job is very bizarre. It's that he go he travels around to uh, used car lots and he runs promotions where they um, cut the price of a car. So basically, it's this, the premise is this. is like if you run a used car lot, mm-hmm. you um, might do this sale where for like a weekend, you're trying to liquidate like a bunch of your cars. So you sell one car for literally like 100 bucks, but it's like a complete junker. And then you slash the prices on a bunch of other ones. So it's like, you know, a car that was normally, you know, 3000 you're going to sell for 1800 or whatever. Yeah. And then you do a bunch of advertising. You try to get, like, tons of people in. And this guy who's the slasher guy, he is, like, the MC of this event. So he brings, like, a DJ, and they play music, yeah. and they decorate with balloons, and they put up banners, and he literally walks around 
in like a tux and has a mic and he's like a carnival barker and he like runs around and just like ushers people around and is like going crazy and that's the rock star thing is that he's like um putting on a show for like two days straight uh and just selling cars just like crazy and they basically for the landis doc they just verite film like a four-day chunk of this guy's life where it starts like at his home i think he lives in like the west coast and then he flies out to wherever some other state and they just do this weekend thing and they just have you know incidentally they shot that on the DVX, which is the same camera that I used to shoot Psycho Ape and Hacking Knife and stuff. But, um, yeah, they're just, like, following them around with, like, a million camera guys shooting. And I just think that it's such an, it's such an amazingly interesting subject matter. The guy that they chose to focus on, like you said, has that crazy voice. Yeah. And uh, he's such a eccentric, like, interesting character, almost like a Borchardt type, yeah. where he's all weird. And so you also get the genius of a really auteur, you know, comedic genius uh, director like a John Landis to follow him around. And you sort of put all those elements together and you have um, the perfect remedy for like just a great uh, film because it's absolutely hilarious. It's structured perfectly. It's uh, tight and flows well, well paced. And it's really like deep and interesting. It's a really, it's just really interesting. So yeah, I can't, recommend that that movie enough and i definitely think it's his best movie like for sure it's like a documentary version of um the goods with jeremy piven right yeah it's like the same yeah. thing definitely is yeah yeah, yeah landis is i love landis he's the best man he went indie in the end of his career kind of yeah right, right, right radar yeah yeah right 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 now his son's running wild you know? i heard about that yeah his son has got a rapey vibe going on or something right Yeah, his son son wrote uh, Chronicle, which I liked, but I didn't think it needed to be found footage. I thought that distracted from it. Um, It could have just been filmed like a regular movie. I I didn't see the point of the found footage part of it. But um, I thought that was just like a gimmick, basically. But uh, I thought it was a decent movie. Um, Funny enough, I actually saw Chronicle on a date with the girl that opens Hectic Knife. There you go. Yeah, which didn't go anywhere, so I didn't really, I didn't, nothing happened with that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. and then I got, and then I got married like a year later, so it wasn't really. But yeah, I, I married someone better. But she, but that girl was lovely. I don't mean nothing, no, nothing against her. We know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. this is good times. The son. Yeah, he also did I Frankenstein. He did that bright yeah. Netflix show. Uh, right. American Ultra or Ultra, yeah. It American Ultra was American it. Ultra, yeah. That, we just yeah. actually just recently watched that one again. Max, yeah, Max Landis. He, 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 you know, he's very eccentric and he's gonna wear, you know, he wears all the tie dyed crazy things and stuff like that. And um, the only, the only thing I remember, he said something that I didn't like, where he said uh, he refused that his father's name kind of helped him in the business, but it's like. <laughs> Even when you don't want it to, like it does, you know. Of what course I mean? it does. There's no, there, I mean, that's it, it, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, I, I mean, I, I, that I, it's that's so stupid. I can't even speak on it. It's not refuting. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's a weird deal, but yeah, what can you do? Yeah, what can you do? We met Land. I met Landis at a. We had a horror convention. We used to. They shut him down over oh, nice. by us. I met Greg yeah. at a horror convention at Gross nice. Fest. 
Nice. Is that, yeah. is that the event that you were you and uh, Addison were coming back from when when the yeah. idea came? Good job. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, no, not for cycling. But yeah, I remember when we met you and uh, Nick Charles and um, the Hawk. Yeah. Hawk was there. Yeah, we're doing a big Chinese food. I remember yeah. Chinese food. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Good old Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting time. Yeah. But. I have to say, too, uh, um, and I, I feel so bad because I keep blanking. You're going to have to edit this where I sound really stupid and, and horrible, but um, dude, DJ what? DJ Stan the Man. That's what it is. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, no, it's really good. I, it's really oh, thank really you, good. sir. Thank you. No, you had given me the the disc uh, yeah. at 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 Gross Fest, yeah. and I really liked it. And uh, I feel so terrible that I because I knew it had like a knew it was DJ, but then it was like I was trying to think of. Um, I'm sorry. I feel bad. Not, I no, do not do not feel bad. Yeah, I, I would, you would have to feel bad if you just said, "Okay, you made that movie. It's uh, it's got a name to it." Um, oh, yeah. Everybody has an occasional brain fart. No, I uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm fart, yeah. I am bad with uh, names and stuff. No, it's a great it's a great film, man. It's thank you, sir. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah! It's yeah. a love fest now. Now it's yeah. officially a love fest. Definitely. <laughs> Well, um, as far yeah, if you guys want to do, I would love to have more of you guys on. If you if you, if you ever want some help with the shock treatment folks hosting an interview to do a big behind the scenes or making it, we're all about that. Definitely, I would we I would love to do it. I'm sure Addison would be down. Uh, no doubt, uh, I can. I'm sure I can get uh, Kansas and Bill in. We actually did. Um, I don't know if you know Neil Jones. Uh, Neil Jones, yes. good man, good He's friend good. of ours. Yeah, so we did. Uh, his, we all did his show together. Me and Kansas and Bill and Steve and Addison all did that yeah. uh, recently. Um, but we love to do this for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Greg, we love you. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Support you and everything you do. Yeah, thank you. You too. You want to just let everybody know how they can follow you on social media? Yes. Sure, sure. Uh, my website is my name, gregdeliso.com, G-R-E-G-D-E-L-I-S-O. Um, it has all the stuff we talked about on there and more. Um, my Instagram is Matthew the Collie. Uh, Matthew has two T's in it. Um, that's my dog, Matthew. Um, and you can just look up my name on, on Facebook. Really, Facebook and Instagram are the only two social media that I use. Um, I barely know what TikTok is and I don't use Twitter. Um, but, uh, and I miss MySpace. Uh, but, uh, yeah, my website has got all my stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And we thank Matthew. Yeah. The community thanks Matthew yeah. for being a uh, man's best friend to Greg. Definitely. For real. Because yeah. when, when we can't get to him, <laughs> Matthew was there. We love that. Hell yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Matthew is the real star of Psychowave, actually. He is. I see. He's credited as that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, Greg, you should do a movie with Matthew, a nice short film. Well, you know, we, I, I was joking with Kansas and her friends yesterday because, of course, Matthew is a collie and Lassie was a collie, right? Yeah. yeah. So when I walk Matthew down the street... Uh, Matthew, did Timmy people, fall in the well? Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> shout out Lassie. Like, he gets catcalled all the time. And so what we got to do, because Matthew is um, 
tricolor, which means he's black and then he has a white thing. And of course, Lassie was white, right? Yeah. So what you've got to do is you got to make Blassie, which is the black Lassie, and you do a trailer where it's like Shaft, like a black exploitation <laughs> film. Hey, they did Blackula, so why not? Exactly. So it would be it'd be like the black version of Lassie, and he's more like a Shaft type of like guy. But it's the same premise as Lassie, you know. So he's like telling the cops like that there's like trouble, but it's like you know it's Matthew being black. So yeah, we got to do that. Are you gonna dye his hair? Are you gonna go for the full look? No, no, he can keep his his white uh, thing, his white. Mane it could be like whatever. his his tuxedo. He's, he's yeah, undercover, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, I don't say this often either, but uh, I'll say it for you because I appreciate it. Uh, go Bruins. Um, Tori Krug is actually well, he's not on the team anymore, but Tori Krug was actually from the uh, town that I was just living in, Livonia, Michigan, for the yeah. uh, last five years. I love Tory Crew. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I almost can't believe I just said those words, but uh, <laughs> I, know, I, I appreciate this a lot. Uh, I mean, I'm a diehard Red Wings fan, and uh, I always will be. I have the years that the Wings won the Stanley Cup tattooed on my arm around my uh, dog Matthew there, so that's how much of a Red Wings dork I actually am. But, uh, no, I, uh, you know. Too, right? Yeah, I'm obsessed with hockey. Yeah, you play. Did you have ever any aspirations of going to the majors? Oh yeah, and yeah. before I. Uh, but then you said you realized. I think I read something, and then you realized you sucked at it. So yes, that's when you that's decided exactly to go into right. filmmaking. I, yeah, I'm I'm five foot. Uh, well, if I'm lying, I'm five foot eight. Let's say, uh, but that's like not the true height. Um, but uh, no, I'm slow and I'm not coordinated and I don't know how to play video games and I know I suck at sports. Like I'm not good. But um, I love ice hockey. I play all the time. If COVID was not a thing, I have my hockey gear with me. I would be hitting up every rink in LA uh, playing hockey for sure. Um, that's like my biggest dream thing to do. I love it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm a Red Wings fan. Gordie Howe is like my true hero. Steve Eiserman is God. Uh, you know, I am a Red Wings uh, guy all around, but I love all hockey. And actually funny enough, I will say this for you. Um, whenever I walk Matthew in our neighborhood, there's a super nice car and you should see the car right here. It's insane, but there's this car and these the stickers, he's got uh, the Bruins, the Patriots and the Celtics and the Sox, like big uh, decals on his car, like all stuck around. So um, he's, uh, he's part of the cult. He's one of the, he's one of the, one of the guys. So you, you've been, let's just say as a, as also as a Lions fan, uh, you guys have been very blessed uh, yeah. over there in Boston um, in the last couple of decades with your championships and stuff. So enjoy that. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. We're enjoying that because right now we're not looking too good. <laughs> hey, you know, you still have Belichick. That's half the battle. Yep. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean uh, we got your stupid Patricia guy who's like the absolute worst, like yeah. this big wolf tyrant loser guy that can't do anything. The, the, the Patriot way, as they call it here, which does not uh, work in any other city except Boston. So, True. yeah, it's dismal. We're, g- we're good at building up heroes and then not being able to afford them anymore. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. Hey, look, you know, the Cel- it's like the, the Celtics and the Lakers might as well be the only two basketball teams in existence. If you look down the history of the NBA, it's like, Celtics championship, Lakers, Celtics, Celtics, Lakers. It's just like all that. It's it's funny. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Sox. I mean, look, hey, man, the year that I moved to New York City, uh, perhaps the greatest um, 
story in American uh, sports uh, history was uh, the Sox uh, winning that World Series against the Yankees, right? I mean, you know. Breaking that, that curse. Yeah, that was that was that was it, right? I mean, that was the big one. So yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> well, we kept you for like two hours. Go on, <laughs> by. I can't even believe it. No, I, I know, dude. Yeah. We knew yeah. it was going to be great times. We'd love to have you on again. You're always welcome on the show. Oh, I love. I do it anytime. I love it. It's super fun. I appreciate this so much. Yeah. Gracias, gracias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank no, you so much for your no, time. I because I saw your little furry friend behind you kept coming over. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Pay me, say, pay some attention. Yeah, right. right. You know, we got him in there, Matthew. You made it in. Don't worry, yep. bud. <laughs> you made your shock treatment treatment debut as well. Awesome. That's, good. <laughs> That's good stuff. And of course, you'll have to. I'm sure you'll let me know when this is. Uh, when this should be up next Tuesday. Cool. Next Friday. Cool. 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 Have a great Thanksgiving, you guys. Right, Stay right. Thank you. You, you as thanks- well. Great Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon, man. Have a good right. one. Thank, thank you so again. Much, Bye. Yeah, Have a good, good one. one. Thank you. Thank you both. This was great. Anytime. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And welcome back to just the two of us, <laughs> ladies and he gentlemen. Was, he was super nice. That was, yeah, Greg That Delisa, was great, yeah. The man. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, Greg's a great dude. Uh, met him, like I said, at uh, Gross Fest. Had like uh, you know an online presence. You know uh, he, you know un- a lot of the underground filmmakers. You know we all kind of, we all kind of, um, you Talked know, know each other on social media and stuff like that. Um, but then you don't really see catch a face. And then we were lucky enough that the Pennsylvania Gross Fest uh, to get to uh, meet him in Addison, and uh, you know. Greg is a, uh, Addison's a good dude too, but Greg's a very, very genuine guy, as you noticed. And I try to like, uh, try and stay close and, and, you know, in touch and support those dudes because you, you know. Yeah, those are the kind of people you want to be a part of your, it is talent. your flock, your arsenal of people that you can network with. And, you know, at some point probably hopefully do a project together with. Just being cool. I just, you know, a project would be cool in the future. I always support just being cool. You know, uh, I'm kind of digging the idea of that dog movie now. <laughs> filmmakers should always be cool, yeah. The um, and this is it. Genosapata, sapata of a body. Um, hell yeah. So yeah, that was uh Greg Delisso, and uh, he was supporting his psycho ape. Uh, as we speak, go grab that. Go pick that up. Captive knife is available on uh, Prime for all of you out there. That. Watch your movies there. Hectic Knife is on the Prime right now. Um, If you're if you like exploitation fun films, if you're if you're a fan of the Groundhog film, for any boombastic folks out there, you will love Hectic Knife and Psycho Ape. Um, Both films, great stuff. You know, you want to watch a movie that you know you don't you want something light, not too serious, something that's gonna make you laugh. You know, you throw on some Psycho Ape, some Hectic Knife. And you enjoy your life. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And on that note, we want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, even yeah, though you'll probably hear that. We had a great Thanksgiving last, uh, <laughs> last week. And uh, yeah, so, you know, hell yeah. So again, everybody go check out Greg's stuff. And uh, we'll link him. He'll be tagged up in the majority of these videos. And we will... Rock you!
but we will also catch y'all on the on next, the next epi- episode of Shock oh. Treatment. We almost did that in unison. Come on. Not even close. <laughs> we could have if you hadn't stopped. That was the furthest <laughs> thing from unison of, that there ever was. We could have done it. It was starting to go in that direction. Dare we speculate next week? <laughs> we won't even speculate next week's guest because we don't, we'll, we'll leave you hanging. Keep Maybe or start dropping hints and make people guess. I almost dropped a hint on our, our social media Facebook page today about doing this episode and what episode is coming out Friday. And it's not too late. We, show, we, we still, we we still, still could, but why ruin it? All right. So with that being said, nothing but love for y'all out there. Right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All love right. for everybody. Huh? There's love for everybody at all times. We love everybody. Well, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Marty. 